Chapter 7 The Penitent Thief It's Not Too Late It should give us all a great deal of hope and comfort that Jesus saved such a man as the penitent thief just before he went back to heaven. Everyone who is not a Christian ought to be interested in this case in order to learn how he was converted. Anyone who does not believe in sudden conversions ought to look into it. If conversions are gradual, if it takes six months, six weeks, or six days to convert someone, then this thief had no chance. If someone who has lived a good, consistent life cannot be converted suddenly, how much less chance for the thief? In the 23rd chapter of Luke, we see how the Lord dealt with him. Scripture And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou art the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. He was a thief, and the worst kind of a thief, or they would not have punished him by crucifixion. Jesus not only saved him, but he took him with him into paradise. Christ hung on the cross between the two thieves. The scribes and Pharisees shook their heads and jeered at him. His disciples had fled. Only his mother and one or two other women remained in sight to cheer him with their presence among all the crowd of enemies. Hear those spiteful Pharisees mocking among themselves. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Luke chapter 23 verse 35. The account also says that the two thieves reproached him with the same. Matthew chapter 27 verse 44. Reviling. The first thing we read of this man is that he was a reviler of Christ. You would think that he would be doing something else at such a time as that, but hanging there in the midst of torture, certain to be dead in a few hours, instead of confessing his sins and preparing to meet that God whose law he had broken all his life, he is mistreating God's only Son. Surely he cannot sink any lower until he sinks into hell. Under Conviction The next time we hear of this thief, he appears to be under conviction. Scripture And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou art the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. Luke chapter 23 verses 39 through 41. What do you suppose made such a great change in this man in these few hours? Jesus had not preached a sermon and had given him no exhortation. The darkness had not yet come on. The earth had not opened her mouth. The business of death was going on undisturbed. The crowd was still there, mocking and hissing and shaking their heads. Yet this man, who in the morning was denouncing Christ, confessed his sins and rebuked the other thief, we indeed justly. No miracle had been performed before his eyes. No angel from heaven had come to place a glittering crown upon Jesus' head in place of the bloody crown of thorns. What caused such a change in him? I will tell you what I think it was.
I think it was the Savior's prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. I can almost hear the thief talking to himself in this way. What a strange kind of man this must be. He claims to be king of the Jews, and the writing over his cross says the same. But what sort of a throne is this? He says he is the Son of God. Why doesn't God send down his angels and destroy all these people who are torturing his son to death? If he has all power now, as he used to have when he worked those miracles they talk about, why doesn't he bring out his vengeance and sweep all these wretches into destruction? I would do it in a minute if I had the power. I wouldn't spare any of them. I would open the earth and swallow them up. But this man prays to God to forgive them. Strange, strange. He must be different from us. I am sorry I said one word against him when they first hung us up here. What a difference there is between him and me. Here we are, hanging on two crosses side by side, but all the rest of our lives we have been far enough apart. I have been robbing and murdering, and he has been feeding the hungry, healing the sick, and raising the dead. Now these people are denouncing us both. I am beginning to believe he must be the Son of God, for surely no man could forgive his enemies like that. Yes, that prayer of Christ's did what the scourge could not do. This man had gone through his trial, had been beaten, and had been nailed to the cross but his heart had not been subdued. He had raised no cry to God, and he was not sorry for his sins. Yet when he heard the Savior praying for his murderers, that broke his heart. It flashed into this thief's soul that Jesus was the Son of God, and that moment he rebuked his companion, saying, Dost thou not fear God? The fear of God fell upon him. A man has little hope of being saved until the fear of God comes upon him. Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We read in Acts that great fear fell upon the people. That was the fear of the Lord. That fear was the first sign that conviction had entered the soul of the thief. Dost thou not fear God? That was the first sign we have of life springing up. Confession Next, he confessed his sins. We indeed justly. He took his place among sinners, not trying to justify himself. A person may be very sorry for his sins, but if he doesn't confess them, he has no promise of being forgiven. Cain felt badly enough over his sins, but he did not confess them. Genesis chapter 4. Saul was greatly tormented in mind, but he went to the witch of Endor instead of to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Judas felt so bad over the betrayal of his master that he went out and hanged himself, but he did not confess to God. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. True, he went and confessed to the priests, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood, but it was of no use to confess to them, for they could not forgive him. How different is the case of this penitent thief? He confessed his sins, and Christ had mercy on him immediately. The great trouble is that people are always trying to make out that they are not sinners and have nothing to confess. Therefore, there is no chance of reaching them with the gospel. There is no hope for a man who folds his arms and says, I don't think God will punish sin. I am going to take the risk. There is no hope for a man until he sees that he is under just condemnation for his sins and shortcomings. 
God never forgives a sinner until he confesses. Justifying Christ Next, the thief justifies Christ. This man has done nothing amiss. When people are talking against Christ, they are far from becoming Christians. Now this man says he has done nothing amiss. The world was mocking him, but in the midst of it all you could hear that thief crying out, This man has done nothing wrong. Faith The next step is faith. Talk about faith. I think this is about the most extraordinary case of faith in the Bible. Abraham was the father of the faithful, but God had him in training for twenty-five years. Moses was a man of faith, but he saw the burning bush and had other evidences of God. Elijah had faith, but he had good reason for it. God took care of him and fed him in time of famine. Here was a man who perhaps had never seen a miracle. He had spent his life among criminals. His friends were thieves and outlaws, and he was now in his dying agonies in the presence of a crowd that was rejecting and reviling the Son of God. Jesus' disciples who had heard his wonderful words and witnessed his mighty works had forsaken him. Perhaps the thief knew this. Peter had denied him with oaths and cursing, and the thief might have known about this too. Judas had betrayed him. He saw no glittering crown upon his brow, but only the crown of thorns. He could see no sign of his kingdom. Where were his subjects? Yet nailed to the cross, racked with pain in every nerve, overwhelmed with horror, his wicked soul in a tempest of passion, this thief managed to lay hold of Christ and trust him for a swift salvation. The faith of this thief flashed out amid the darkness of Calvary. It is one of the most astounding instances of faith in the Bible. When I was a boy, I was a poor speller. One day, the boy at the head of the class was asked to spell a word, but he couldn't spell it, and none of our classmates could spell it. I spelled it, by good luck, and I went from the bottom of the class to the head. In the same way, the thief on the cross passed by Abraham, Moses, and Elijah, and went to the head of the class. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Luke chapter 23, verse 42. Thank God for such a faith. How refreshing it must have been to Christ to have one person confess him as Lord and believe in his kingdom at that dark hour. How this thief's heart went out to the Son of God. How glad he would have been to fall on his knees at the foot of the cross and pour out his prayer. But this he couldn't do. His hands and feet were nailed fast to the wood. But they had not nailed his eyes and his tongue and his heart. He could at least turn his head and look upon the Son of God, and his breaking heart could go out in love to the one who was dying for him and dying for you and me. He could say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What a confession of Christ that was! He called him Lord. What a strange Lord! Nails through his hands and feet fastened to the cross. What a strange throne! Blood was trickling down his face from the scars made by the crown of thorns, but he was all the more Lord because of this. Sinner, call him Lord now. Take your place as a poor condemned rebel and cry out, Lord, remember me. That isn't a very long prayer, but it will prevail. We don't have to add, when thou comest into thy kingdom, because Christ is now at his Father's right hand. Three words, 
a chain of three golden links that will bind the sinner to his Lord. Some people think they must have a written prayer or a prayer book if they are going to address the throne of grace properly. But what could that poor fellow have done with a prayer book up there, hanging on the cross with both hands nailed fast? Suppose it had been necessary for some priest or minister to pray for him. What could he do? Nobody was there to pray for him, and yet he was going to die in a few hours. Man could not help him, but God had provided help from one who is mighty, and that one was close at hand. The thief prayed from his heart. His prayer was short, but it brought the blessing. It was right to the point. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He asked the Lord to give him right then and there what he wanted. The Answered Prayer Now consider the answer to his prayer. He got more than he asked for, just as everyone does who asks in faith. He only asked Christ to remember him, but Christ answered, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Immediate blessing, promise of fellowship, eternal rest. This is the way Christ answered his prayer. Darkness Then darkness fell upon the earth. The Son hid itself. Worst of all, the Father hid his face from his Son. What else is the meaning of that bitter cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Oh, but it had been written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus was made a curse for us. God cannot look upon sin, so even when his own Son bore our sins in his body, God could not look upon him. I think this is what weighed heaviest upon the Savior's heart in the garden when he prayed, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. He could bear the unfaithfulness of his friends, the enmity of his enemies, the pain of his crucifixion, and the shadow of death. He could bear all these, but when it came to his father hiding his face, that seemed too much for even the Son of God to bear. But even this he endured for our sins. Now the face of God is turned back to us, whose sins had turned it away, and looking upon Jesus, the sinless one, he saw us in him. In the midst of all his agony, how sweet it must have been to Christ to hear that poor thief confessing him. He takes pleasure in people who confess him. Do you remember Jesus asking his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? When they answered, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, he asked, But who say ye that I am? When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus blessed him for that confession. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. This thief confessed Jesus as Messiah. He confessed him in the darkness. Perhaps it was so dark he couldn't see him any longer, but he felt Jesus there beside him. Christ wants us to confess Him in the dark as well as in the light, when things are difficult as well as when things are easy. He was not ashamed of us, but He bore our sins and carried our sorrows even unto death. When a prominent man dies, we are anxious to know about his last words and acts. The last act of the Son of God was to save a sinner. That was a part of the glory of His death. 
He began his ministry by saving sinners, and he ended it by saving this poor thief. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24-25 through 25. Jesus took this captive from the jaws of death. He was on the borders of hell, and Christ snatched him away. No doubt Satan was saying to himself, I will have the soul of that thief pretty soon. He belongs to me. He has been mine all these years. But in his last hours, the miserable sinner cried out to the Lord, and he snapped the chains that bound his soul and set him free. He threw him a passport into heaven. I can imagine as the soldier drove his spear into our Savior's side, there came flashing into the mind of the thief the words of the prophet Zechariah. In that time there shall be an open fountain for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem against sin and against uncleanness. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1. You can see from the conversion of this thief that salvation is distinct and separate from works. Some people tell us we have to work to be saved. What do those who believe that say about the salvation of this thief? How could he work when he was nailed to the cross? He took the Lord at his word and believed. It is with the heart that people believe, not with their hands or feet. All that is necessary for anyone to be saved is to believe with the heart. This thief made a good confession. If he had been a Christian for fifty years, he could not have done Christ more service there than he did. He confessed Jesus before the world, and for two thousand years that confession has been told. Luke recorded all of it. He felt it was important that we should know what happened. See how salvation is separate and distinct from all ordinances. Ordinances are right in their place, but many people think it is impossible for anyone to get into the kingdom of God if he is not baptized into it. I know people who were very disturbed because little children died unbaptized. I have seen them carry the children through the streets because the pastor could not come. I am not talking against ordinances. Baptism is right in its place, but when you put it in the place of salvation, you put a snare in the way. You cannot baptize people into the kingdom of God. The last conversion before Christ perished on the cross should forever settle that question. If I am told that someone cannot get into heaven without being baptized, I answer, this thief was not baptized. If he had wanted to be baptized, I don't believe he could have found anyone to baptize him. I have known people who had sick relatives, but when they could not get a minister to come to their house and administer the sacrament, they became distressed and troubled. I am not speaking against the ordinance by which we commemorate the death of our Lord and remember His return. God forbid but it is not necessary for salvation. I might die and be lost before I could get to the Lord's table, but if I get to the Lord, I am saved. Thank God salvation is always within my reach and I don't have to wait for a minister. This poor thief certainly never partook of the Lord's Supper. Was there a man on that hill who would have had faith to believe he was saved? Would any church today have received him into membership? He didn't have to wait for this. The moment he asked for life, our Savior gave it. Baptism is one thing, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is another thing, and salvation through Christ is quite another thing. 
If we have been saved through Christ, let us confess Him by baptism. Let us go to His table and do whatever else He asks, but let us not make stumbling blocks out of these things. That is what I call sudden conversion, people calling on God for salvation and getting it. You certainly won't get it unless you call for it and unless you take it when He offers it to you. If you want Christ to remember you, to save you, then call upon Him. Two Sides The cross of Christ divides all mankind. There are only two sides, those for Christ and those against Him. Think of the two thieves. From the side of Christ, one went down to death cursing God, and the other went to glory. What a contrast! In the morning, the thief was let out as a condemned criminal. In the evening, he was saved from his sins. In the morning, he was cursing. In the evening, he was singing hallelujahs with a choir of angels. In the morning, he was condemned by men as not fit to live on earth. In the evening, he was considered good enough for heaven. In the morning, he was nailed to the cross. In the evening, he was in the paradise of God, crowned with a crown he will wear through all the ages. In the morning, not an eye pitied him. In the evening, the blood of the Lamb washed him and made him clean. In the morning, he belonged to the society of thieves and outcasts. In the evening, Christ was not ashamed to walk arm in arm with him down the golden pavement of the eternal city. The thief was the first man to enter paradise after the veil of the temple was torn. If we could look up and catch a glimpse of the throne, we would see the Father with Jesus Christ at his right hand, and nearby we would see that thief. He is there today. He has been there for two thousand years just because he cried in faith, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus died a little while before the thief. I can imagine that he wanted to hurry home to get a place ready for his new friend, the first soul brought from the world he was dying to redeem. The Lord loved him because he confessed him in that dark hour. It was a dark hour for many who reviled the Savior. You might have heard of the child who did not want to die and go to heaven because he didn't know anybody there, but the thief would have at least one acquaintance there. I can imagine how his soul leaped within him when he saw the spear thrust into our Savior's side and heard the cry, It is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. The thief wanted to follow Christ. When they came to break his legs, he was in a hurry to be gone. I can imagine the Lord calling, Gabriel, prepare a chariot, make haste. There is a friend of mine hanging on that cross. They are breaking his legs. He will soon be ready to come. Make haste and bring him to me. The angel in the chariot swept down from heaven, took the soul of that penitent thief, and hurried back to glory. The gates of the city swung wide open, and the angels shouted to welcome this poor sinner who had been washed spotless in the blood of the Lamb. That, my friends, is just what Christ wants to do for you. That is the business on which he came down from heaven. That is why he died. If he gave such a swift salvation to this poor thief on the cross, surely he will give you the same if, like the penitent thief, you repent, confess, and trust in the Savior. Someone might say that this man was saved at the eleventh hour. I don't know about that. It might have been the first hour with him. Perhaps he never knew of Christ until he was led out to die beside him. This may have been the very first time he had a chance to know the Son of God. 
How many of you gave your hearts to Christ the very first time He asked you? Are you not further along in the day than even that poor thief? Some years ago, in one of the mining districts of England, a young man attended one of our meetings and refused to leave until he had found peace in the Savior. The next day he went down into the mining pit, and the coal fell in on him. When they brought him out, he was broken and mangled and had only two or three minutes of life left in him. His friends gathered about him and saw his lips moving. Bending down to catch his words, they heard him say, It was a good thing I settled it last night. Settle it now, my friends, once for all. Begin now to confess your sins and pray to the Lord to remember you. He will make you an heir of His kingdom if you will accept the gift of salvation. He is the same Savior the thief had. Will you not cry out to Him for mercy? The Dying Thief A cross, and one who hangs thereon in sight of heaven and earth. The cruel nails are fast, in trembling hands and feet, the face is white and changed with agony, the failing head is drooping heavily, but still again, and yet again, the weary eyes are raised to seek the face of one who hangeth pale upon another cross. He hears no shrill and taunting voices of the crowd beneath, he marks no cruel looks of all that gaze upon the woeful sight. He sees alone that face upon the cross, O long, long look, that searcheth there the deep and awful things which are of God. In his first agony and horror he had joined with them that spake against the Lord, the Lamb, who gave himself that day for us. But when he met the look of those calm eyes, he paused that instant, pale and trembling, stricken to the heart, and faint at sight of him. At length the pale glad lips have breathed the trembling prayer, O Lord, remember me, the hosts of God with wistful angel faces, bending low above their dying king, were surely stirred to wonder at the cry. Not one of all the shining host had dared to speak to him in that dread hour of woe, when heaven and earth stood trembling and amazed. Yet, lo, the voice of one who speaks to him, who dares to pray, O Lord, remember me, a sinful man may make his pitiful appeal to Christ, the sinner's friend, when angels dare not speak, and sweetly from the dying lips that day the answer came. O strange and solemn joy which broke upon the fading face of him, who there received the promise, Thou shalt be in paradise this night, this night with me. O Christ the King, we also wander on the desert hills, though haunted by thy call, returning sweet at morn and eve. We will not come to thee till thou hast nailed us to some bitter cross, and made us look on thine, and driven at last to call on thee with trembling and with tears, thou lookest down in love, upbraiding not, and promising the kingdom. A throne, and one who kneels before it, bending low in new and speechless joy. It is the night on earth, the shadows fall like dew upon the hills around the holy city, but above, beyond the dark veil of the sky, beyond the smiling of the stars, they meet once more in peace and glory. Heaven is comforted, for that strange warfare is accomplished now, her king returned with joy. And one who watched the far-off morning in a prison dim, and hung at noonday on the bitter cross, is kneeling at his feet, and tasteth now the sweet, sweet opening of an endless joy.